I came out of here out here from California um, because something amazing is happening over there. This GLOW program is something that started about three years ago and um, we had very small beginnings. It's very interesting. Over in Central California Conference every year at Camp Meeting they take up a big evangelism offering and uh, it's been around upwards of three million dollars for the past few years and one of the initiatives that came out of that was uh, this GLOW project which was how can we get adults involved in doing literature evangelism because I don't know about you guys but as you look across the North American division there's not much literature evangelism going on except for the students who go out during the summers and they sell these soft cover books well we wanted to get the the adults once again activated and getting into doing an outreach through literature and so that idea trickled down to our department in Central California Conference and they said hey start thinking about a program well, I happened to be living in a garage at the time a renovated garage uh, that was a little studio apartment and I didn't have anything to do lots of time on my hands and so I picked up this book called um, and I was working for the conference at the time I picked up the book called publishing ministry and as I began to read that book this the blueprints for this program just started coming out and glow is basically a program that's based off of the blueprints of the spirit of prophecy it's nothing new it's something that uh, our church has done in the past but it has a new name and it has a new face and the Lord is just blessing it. You know, in uh, the Bible it says, believe his prophets and ye shall prosper. And uh, that's what we've done. We've built this program off of the counsel of our prophet, and it is prospering. Since the program started about three years ago, um, we've printed about 10 million tracks, and it started in this one garage, and now it's spread to about 13 different conferences across the United States. We're getting the program going in, um, hopefully, in Scandinavia pretty soon here. In fact, I have some, uh, some tracks I just got this last week that have been translated into Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish. So I thought that was pretty cool. I can't read like one word of them except for the glow on the front, but um, the people over there can. That's what counts. So it's growing like crazy. Um, the Lord is just blessing, and it's a very simple program. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But um, let me just give you an overview of the three sessions. Session number one, we're going to talk about why we do evangelism. The reason, the big picture. And then we're going to hone in on the details. Session number two, we're going to focus on literature distribution, uh, which every one of us can do. And then session three, the last session, we're going to talk about how to get involved in literature sales. And because those are the two different modes of doing literature evangelism, literature distribution, literature sales. But first, today, we're going to talk about um, literature uh, and, and why we do that work in general. Because we need to have the reason why before we actually go out and do it. Um, so without further ado, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into our study today. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much that we can meet together and we can discuss your word. Lord, we can read its pages, and Father, that we can glean wisdom, not only for our own benefit, Lord, but for the benefit of the unsaved, Lord, who live in our communities and in our hometowns. And Father, I just ask that your spirit would speak today in this seminar and Lord that as a ripple effect of this seminar your people might be equipped to better reach out to the lost and Father we pray for these things in your name Amen well turn with me in your Bibles if you have them to Jeremiah chapter 9 and we're gonna start right there and as you're turning to Jeremiah chapter 9 I want to share with you um, something interesting I found the other day 
Some very interesting people. Jeremiah chapter 9. As you're turning there, if you can look at the screen here. In 1707, there was a man born by the name of Jedediah Buxton. Jedediah Buxton was a farmer, and uh, he was a simple farmer. In fact, he couldn't read and he couldn't write. Uh, he was a simple man to most appearances. But the interesting thing about Jedediah Buxton was that he was a genius when it came to math. It said that Jeremiah, when he uh, sat down one time, he took a farthing and he squared it 139 times in his mind. You guys know what it means to square a number, right? What's two times two? Four. Okay, good. This is an interactive audience, I can tell. <laughs> what, what is four times four then? Okay, what's 16 times 16? Yeah, now we're running into a problem, right? <laughs> we only squared that number two, what, three times? Jedediah Buxton squared a number in his mind 139 times, in his mind. And then he took that number and eventually squared it by itself. Uh, it said that one time they took Jedediah to um, a person's property and he walked to the acreage. And as he was walking it, he paced every step and counted the amount of steps and measured the entire perimeter of the property. And then in his mind, he broke down the acreage into, into hair's breadths and told how many hair's breadths square that property was. One time, Jedediah was taken over to a, a play in Europe. And rather than focusing on the theme of the play, he sat there and he tried to count the amount of steps that all the dancers took on the stage. And he tried to count all the words that the people said. His mind was constantly wrapped in numbers, and he was a genius. He was a savant. The second man that we have up here, his name is Leslie Lemke. And uh, it sounds like some of you have heard of him. Leslie Lemke was born uh, prematurely in 1952 with glaucoma, cerebral palsy, and brain damage. The doctors actually, when he was born, they had to remove his eyes. His mother thought, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of this kid. She abandoned him, and he was adopted by a nurse at six months old. Leslie lived for seven years without making any sounds and no movements, and he made no signs of emotions. In fact, it took him until he was the age of 12 to actually learn how to stand, and then he finally learned how to walk when he was 15. But when, it was, when he was 16, something amazing happened. His adoptive mother uh, had left him in a room by himself, and as she walked into another room, she all of a sudden heard beautiful piano music coming from the room that she'd left him in. She came back in, and to her surprise, she found that, that Leslie was playing a beautiful piano piece that he had just heard on the radio. Come to find out that Leslie was a savant. He was a musical genius. He could duplicate anything that he heard and put it on the piano. Uh, some people doubted that uh, Leslie was, was real. They thought it was a trick, and so they took him one time to a a auditorium where there was this, uh, this famed piano playing lady and she had created this original piece which nobody had heard before. And so they set her at one piano on the stage and they set Leslie on the other piano on the stage. And as she began playing this original piece, which he couldn't have seen beforehand because it was an original piece, the, the sound from the notes of the piano went into his ears and registered out on his fingers. And he was playing just a few seconds behind her. And then as the song progressed, he happened to get closer and closer time-wise until they were almost playing simultaneously. How many of you guys would like to be able to play the piano like that? Amen? I took 10 years of piano lessons, and I have to read those notes. I can't do anything like that. That is an amazing gift. The third person we have up here, and the last that I'm going to share this morning, is a man by the name of Kim Peek. Have any of you heard of him? 
Kim Peek was actually born in 1951. From what I understand, he's still alive today. When he was born, the two hemispheres of his brain are, were disconnected. They, they, he was born with them being uh, separate from each other. This guy can't even button his shirt. He has limited motor skills. His dad has to take care of him. But with all these problems that he has in his life, guess what? He's considered a mega savant and a genius in 12 different areas. The reason why is because every single thing that Kim reads, he locks into memory. When he was a kid, his dad accidentally read to him a book a second time, and he said, Dad, you read that to me already. And he said, what? No, I didn't, son. <laughs> and then Kim proceeded to tell him what exactly was the next sentence that his dad was going to read in the book. It was from that time on that they realized that Kim had a special gift. When Kim reads a book, it said that his left eye scans the left page and his right eye scans the right page and he reads both simultaneously. He's memorized over 12,000 books. He remembers everything that he ever reads. He's, a, he's considered a genius in history, geography, sports, music, dates, numbers, zip codes. Zip codes? Yeah, actually his favorite pastime is to go to the library in Salt Lake City and to sit down and read the zip code books and to memorize them. Uh, one time he was tested at an Ivy League college uh, by these erudite students in literature who had, you know, studied into some minuscule, poetic, iliatic thing off in some corner that nobody ever knows about, right? And they were, they were questioning him on these books. And one time this, this student stood up and, and he asked Kim this question. He said, so what did this one author say in this one place? And uh, didn't he say this? And Kim actually said, well, actually you phrased that question wrong. Because in this book, in this chapter, in this page, in this paragraph, in this sentence, it reads, and then he quoted what it read. Powerful. Now think about this. Jedediah Buxton, a mathematical genius, Leslie Lemke, a musical genius, and Kim Peek, a reading or memorizing genius, all of those are in the power of the mind that God has originally endowed us with. Can you imagine what it would be like if sin had never entered our world? How, how powerful our minds would be? Question is, why did God even give us minds that were so amazing? I mean, originally we were developed to be just that smart, that talented. Why did God give us so much power of the mind? Well, that's where we find the answer in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 gives us the reason why God gave us such incredible minds. The, the title of our presentation today is Human Purpose and Prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. So why did God give us such incredible minds? Was it so that we could exalt ourselves, so that we could uh, uh, know the best methods to lift the weights and become really strong? He didn't give us our minds for that purpose. He didn't give us our minds so that we could exalt ourselves and get lots of, lots of money and boast in that. The reason why God gave us our minds as humans, our purpose for our existence and, and our intellect is so that we can do what? According to this verse, it's so we can understand God. The purpose of our existence as humans is to understand God. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, <laughs> and, right? Let's unpack this thought. It's actually quite deep. 
the purpose of our existence is to continually grow in our understanding of God. You know, in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus alludes to this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, right? What are we going to do throughout eternal life, throughout the eternity after we're off this rock? We're going to be growing in our knowledge of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6 brings out two critical, critical um, ways that we need to understand God, two critical things that we need to do to be able to comprehend Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. So, as we're thinking about what the purpose of our existence is as humans, we know that our purpose is to understand who God is according to these verses that we've seen. But what can be a roadblock in, in, in the way of that? If we don't believe that God exists, right? According to this verse, when we come to God, we must first believe that He is existent, right? This is where a lot of people get you know, tricked in our world is because the devil has lied to them, initially even telling them that God doesn't exist. And if they don't believe that He exists, guess what? They can't fulfill the purpose of their existence. Now, is there a teaching in our world that says that God doesn't exist? Yes, the teaching is called evolution. Satan's big lie to, to, to derail us from our purpose of existence. You know, I really like animals, and animals are a perfect illustration of this. Have you ever tried, um, have you ever just sat there and watched, like, an ant? I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who has free time. But, uh, Every now and then, I just like to watch animals and bugs and, and, and think to myself, what's going on in their little brains? If you look at an ant and just watch it walking around, is that ant conscious of your existence? No, the, the, the right answer is no. The ant isn't conscious of your existence. You can look at the ant. In fact, you can even put your finger in front of the ant. You can obstruct its way. And what is the ant gonna do? It's just gonna go, oh, and it's gonna climb up on your finger and think that, you know, Nothing's, like, it won't even still recognize you. An ant can't comprehend that there is something greater and some intelligence looking down at it and actually observing its ways, right? Now, let's take it a little step up animal, in the animal kingdom. Say a bird. Can birds recognize our existence? Yes, they can. When you stick your finger underneath of a bird's chest, what does it do? It steps up, and I used to have... Um, a bird that we caught out in our front yard. His name was Tuffy because she was kind of wild and, and uh, when we first caught her she bit my mom's hand and you know just this terrible bird had a bad attitude but that was what was so fun about Tuffy is because she always screamed and squabbled when we tried to pet her and it was just fun to pester her. But Tuffy when, when I would go up and I would poke her with my finger you better believe that she recognized my existence because she'd go <laughs> and she knew that I was there but an ant doesn't right? Now let's go one step farther. A dog. Do dogs recognize our existence? Right? They do. And in fact, one of the things that I like the best is to come home and have a dog happily waiting there wagging its tail to see you come home. You know, when, when uh, me and my sister moved out of the house, my parents replaced us with a dog. You know, it's a little Pomeranian, the little puffy ones, you know, that bark at everything. I mean, she just barks at everything. My parents live out in the country, and when the turkeys come down the hill, she just goes out there and yap, 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 yap. If she really could get out amongst the turkeys, they'd probably demolish her because she's just a little puffy thing. But the point is that 
there have been times when I've taken the, I've taken Pixie is her name, the little Pomeranian, and I've held her up in front of me, her little puffiness, and I've looked into her little beady, quivering eyes, and I've thought to myself, what is this dog thinking? Maybe I'm the only one who's done that. Seems like it. But, you know, just take time to look into their kind of glazed over look and like, what is that dog or animal thinking in its mind? But the higher you go up from an ant to a bird to a dog, the, the, one of the main differences between all three of those animals is that they what? They grow in their ability to recognize who you are as a person, right? They're like, oh, they're conscious of something else. And check this verse out. In Psalms, uh, chapter 53, verse 2, the Bible brings out the same element. It says, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand and who actually seek God. It's like God's, I get a mental picture of God. He's in a sanctuary and he's, he's looking down on earth and he sees all these people, they're doing their busy thing and he's, and he's looking at them and he's just waiting to see one of them that actually pauses and looks up and says, huh, I wonder, is there a God? Right? That is the first step that we must take as humans to get on the path of our purpose for existence. The first step is to first recognize that God is. Does that make sense? That he actually exists. Well, friends, the sad thing is, is that many, millions upon millions in, in this earth don't even understand that. They don't even believe that God exists to begin with. So are they on that path of fulfilling their existence and their purpose? They're not. And what's our job in life? Is to help them to understand that God really does exist. To help them to pause and to say, you know what? There's actually some good reason to believe that God does exist. Now, once we get beyond that point, we can start understanding who he actually is. Going back to Hebrews chapter 11, look at this. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must, number one, believe that he is. And then what's the second step? And he must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, now we're getting into the whole part where it says that he is a rewarder. We're getting into not that he exists, but we're getting into who he is and what he's like. Does he reward me or does he not? The question of his existence is now behind me. Now I can focus on who is God, what goes on in his mind. Okay? I need a volunteer. I need a... Hmm. Sir, can you come up here? It's not hard. What I'm going to ask you to do. All right, what's your name? Christopher. Christopher? I'm Nelson. Hello, Nelson. Good to meet you. Okay. All right, Christopher, where are you from? Around here. Around here, okay, in Southern. Now, Christopher, I, I want you to do something for us. We're talking about how to understand what God is like. We're going to talk about how to understand what's in God's mind, okay? And we're going to... that I give sermons about this. Okay, good. Oh, you're a pastor? We're going to that later. Oh, man, you're making me feel intimidated over here. No, 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 no. Okay. We have the same father. Okay, good. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take and, and imagine just, just a, a, some kind of an object in your mind that you're going to tell us eventually, but I want you to hold that object in your mind. And when you have it in there, just tell me. What's the object about? Just anything. Anything that you can tell us afterwards. You know, you want to make it something that's, that's okay. Naturally. Obviously. Okay. You got it? That's something. Okay. So hold it there. Mm -hmm. Hold it in your mind. 
Now, can anybody, by looking at this man, tell me what's in his mind? No? I mean, if you got really close and maybe, maybe looked in his ear, could you tell what he's holding mentally in his mind? No? Maybe if we had him open his mouth and looked in there, or, or if we peered into his eyes, right? We could tell what was in his soul? No, really, if we look at him, we can't tell what's going on in his mind, correct? Okay. Well, maybe if we had a woman look at your mind, you know, because I hear that women are pretty perceptive, you know. Ladies, can you tell what he's thinking? No? No guesses. Okay. Well, do you want to tell us what it is? Oh, just a silver ball. What is it? A silver ball. A silver ball. Yeah. Okay. So now we know what's in his mind, right? Some of you are thinking, this is like the lamest illustration ever. But let, let's draw some stuff out of it, okay? We couldn't tell what was in his mind. Why? Because that silver ball was invisible. And it was behind the cranium and all that kind of stuff anyway. So we couldn't see it even if it was not invisible. Does that make sense? How, can we now, how did we now just tell what was in his mind? Because he, because he told us, right? Because he spoke it. Thank you. You can sit down. Here's my point, guys. How can we understand what's in the mind of God? By looking at what he speaks. Whatever comes out of his mouth, where did it first originate? It originated in his mind or it originated in his heart. So if we want to understand what's in the mind of God, if we want to fulfill our purpose as humans, which is to understand the mind of God and his character, what must we look at? We must look at what he says, right? Okay, look at this. Luke chapter 6 says, Luke chapter 6 verse 45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So now, now we're getting it straight from the Bible. The Bible actually brings out this principle too. If you want to understand what's in a person's heart, all you have to do is listen to what they're saying. You know, a lot of us say that we, we speak before we think. Well, the reality is we always think before we speak, even if we say something that's really dumb. <laughs> it still goes through our mind in, in some capacity, one way or another, right? And it's the same way with God. But check this out. My friends, if you want to understand what's in the mind of God, look at what he spoke. But when God speaks, what else happens? When God speaks, he actually, it's a word with C, he actually creates, right? So if you want to understand what's in the mind and the heart of God, what must we look at? Creation. In fact, the entire universe, my friends, is just a picture of what was originally in the mind and the heart of God. Does that make sense? So what are we going to do when we're up in heaven? Are we going to be floating around on like puffy clouds and, you know, strumming the, those little harps? And No, of course not. We're going to be studying the universe. We're going to be flying around and, you know, maybe there's going to be a planet full of jello or something. I don't know. We're going to be studying it and having a glorious time doing it. But really, what are we doing when we're studying the, studying the universe and, and all the handiworks of God? What we're studying is uh, a bit by bit, we're beginning to understand more and more about the mind and the heart of God. Because before the universe existed, in reality, where was it? Invisibly, it was in his mind and heart. In fact, in jo Acts chapter 17, the Bible says that in him, we live and move and have our being, right? Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. I mean, when I stumbled upon this point, my mind just went all over the place with it. Um, 
Ellen White talks about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven or we're on the new earth and uh, what we're going to do while we're there. Check this out. She says, there, immortal minds will contemplate with never failing delight the wonders of creative power. In other words, we're going to be studying the universe. The mysteries of redeeming love, every faculty or mental power will be developed. Every capacity will be increased. In other words, you and I are going to be able to be like those savants that I just talked about at the beginning, right? We're going to be able to uh, read a book and have it memorized for all eternity, actually. We're going to be able to uh, hear a piano piece maybe and just sit down and wham, lay it out again, right? We'll see a math problem and it won't be a problem. You know, in fact, I have a friend, his name's Scott. He's here this weekend. When we were in high school, he used to, you know what he used to do to calm down and go to sleep at night? He used to do calculus. What a strange, strange thing, a foreign thought to me. But I suppose when he gets to heaven, he won't need to sleep. But if he did need to sleep, he would probably be able to sit down and just like, you know, calculate logarithmic algorithms or some kind of crazy thing that's way more intense, right? Anyway, let's keep on with the quote here. Every faculty will be developed, every capacity increased. The acquirement of knowledge will not weary the mind or exhaust the energies. Have you guys ever studied something and you're like, after an hour or two, you're just like, I can't handle this anymore. I've got to like go do something else, right? That won't happen there. All the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. Unfettered by mortality, they wing their tireless flight to worlds afar. With unutterable delight, the children of earth enter into the joy and the what? The joy and the actual wisdom of unfallen beings. They share the treasures of knowledge and understanding gained through ages upon ages in contemplation of God's handiwork. In other words, when we go and fly to these different planets, right, and we talk to some of these other beings that God has created, these guys have been studying God's universe for however many years they've been around. And we'll just be like little school kids, you know, and they're going to teach us a few things we had never thought about. With undimmed vision, they gaze upon the glory of creation, suns and stars and systems, all in their appointed order, circling the throne of deity. Upon all things, from the least to the greatest, the Creator's name is written, and in all are the riches of His power displayed. Darkness before dawn, 62.2. I imagine it uh, is going to be quite exciting when we're off this rock. Amen? And we're able to be out there in God's universe studying all those things. But remember, we're not studying those things just so we can get, you know, maybe five PhDs in astrophysics or something. It's not, that's not the end goal. The end goal is so that we can understand God's character more. Now, let me give a little short tangent while we're on this point. If everything that is in existence now, all fields of knowledge, were originally in the mind of God before they came upon the scene of existence, then when we study anthropology, when we study English or the languages, when we study mathematics, when we study any given uh, area of study, what is the end objective and goal of learning those things? To understand the mind of God more, right? Because where did those subjects originate? In his mind. So the purpose of true education is it finds its end goal in teaching us to know more about our Creator and to love Him more. Amen? Amen? So within that context, uh, we can see that education can actually be one of the greatest tools to lead us back to the purpose of our existence, which is to understand God. You know, in fact, by the way, friends, as we begin the process of understanding who God is, we begin basically the path of eternal life. We can begin eternal life right now 
as soon as we begin understanding who God is. Amen? The thief on the cross, did he begin that journey? He did, because as he saw Christ on the cross, he learned, oh, that's the Lamb of God. He recognized that. He began to learn about him. His heart was melted because of it, and he began, he only got two steps down that road, but you know what? He was on the path, and so he's going to be on it for the rest of eternity. Amen? Some of us have had some more time. Now, we're going to um, go on to the next point here. What time is it? 3, 2, 35. Okay, we've got plenty of time. Good. Check this out. I love what Ellen White says. She's got these one-liners, you know? Sometimes you just, you study something out for a week, maybe, and you're like, man, this is such a deep biblical thought. I bet nobody's ever heard of this before. And then you find, like, Ellen White summarizes it in one sentence. You're like, man, you know, well, I guess that just proves that she really knew her stuff, so I guess I will be happy. Check this one-liner out. She says right here in Desire of Ages, page 22, to know God is to love him. Now, now chew on that one for a while. To know God is to love him. That is a deep one-liner right there. Friends, our purpose of existence, as we've already seen, is to grow in our knowledge of who God is, right? But as we grow in our knowledge of who God is, guess what happens simultaneously? We grow in our love of God, right? And as we grow in our love of God, that leads to our obedience to him and all other things, right? So where's the, where's the beginning point? The beginning point of all that beautiful circle of, of sanctification starts with a knowledge of who God is, interestingly enough. Now, look at this quote here. In Great Controversy, page 678, Mrs. White says, about eternity, and the years of eternity as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. Now, some of those of you who are married here for a while can probably testify to this. You know, when you first got together with your beloved, <laughs> you, you had a certain level of love for them. But as your knowledge of who they were uh, grows deeper and deeper, it's, it, it, your love also gets deeper and deeper. In fact, Mrs. White in, in Adventist Home, she puts it that way. She says uh, marriage shouldn't be the, the, the end of love. Rather, it should be the beginning of it. And uh, this is the same thing in heaven. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. When we go to heaven, we're going to love God. Amen? But guess what? Ten trillion years from now, we're going to love God even more than when we loved him when we first got to heaven. Does that make sense? I mean, you know that, that in Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible says that the love of Christ surpasses understanding. That is a deep text. I just imagine it this way. You know, I, I, I picture myself, you know, on the, in, in, in eternity, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm neighbors with one of you, right? But we haven't seen each other for like 10 billion years, right? Although we have like little golden condominiums next to each other on the new earth or something, but we haven't seen each other for 10 billion years because I've been off in this one part of the universe and you've been off in this one part of the universe, and even when we come back together, all flesh will come together on the Sabbath to worship him. We just haven't bumped into each other because it's such a big crowd on Sabbath, right? So, uh, but while we've been separated, I've been over in this one corner of the universe, and I've been studying like, like some leaf or something on, on a planet. And, uh, but this isn't just any leaf. It's some kind of leaf like that's outside of the time-space continuum or something, you know? It's just like a really amazing leaf. 
and, uh, and maybe one of you, my neighbor, you've been over uh, on this other planet learning how to play the piano, uh, and you're like the best piano player ever. And you come up to, to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I have this, this special music that I want to play for you this next Sabbath. And you, you made a friend from another planet who has like maybe eight arms or something, and he joins in and does like a quadruple duet thing or whatever. It just sounds awesome. Well, anyway, after 10 billion years, I come over to you and I say, hey, neighbor, come over here. You know that problem that I was working on 10 billion years ago about that leaf? I finally figured it out. So we zoom over there. We go to that planet. We look at that leaf. And I say, check it out. This is what I learned. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. This leaf is so profound because it teaches me something new about the love of God. And just that little thing helps our hearts swell that much more in love and gratitude to him. And we go back the next Sabbath and we praise him even louder. Amen? That's what it's all about. The purpose of our existence as humans, from the Bible, it brings it out clearly. Our purpose is so that we can understand God, grow in our knowledge and our love of him. And as eternity continues, we're going to love him more. It's a loving picture, isn't it? By the way, you ever wondered why, why, why do we actually have to live for all eternity? I mean, what's the deal? Why, do, why isn't there a cutoff line? Because it's going to take an infinite amount of time to understand an infinite mind and an infinite heart. Amen? I tell you what, I don't even understand what it's going to look like when we just, we love Christ so much that it's just, wow. And you know what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we're going to love him that much then, guess how much we can love him now? Oh my goodness, we can love him so much that, I don't know, we might just faint right here in this room if we really could understand. The problem is that we don't understand because our mind is clouded by our own selfish lenses. Does that make sense? Selfishness cannot comprehend unselfishness. You ever read about the cross sometimes in the Bible, the, the, the narrative, and it just doesn't really strike a chord? It doesn't really affect you in the way that you feel it should? And that's the reason why. Because in Psalms 50, the Bible says, you thought that I was altogether like you. In other words, when we look at God and Jesus in the Bible sometimes, we look at him and just we automatically project our motives on him because that's all we understand. We understand selfishness. We know that. We have a knowledge of good and evil mainly, right? But if we really understood who Christ was, our hearts would overflow because love awakens love. And as we see his love, it'll awaken love in our own hearts. One interesting thing on this point, in Ecclesiastes, it says that there's nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new. But guess what? Jesus didn't die under the sun. You ever thought of that? The reason why is because when Jesus died without the sun shining on him, it was because it was something entirely new. The world had never seen that kind of a picture of unselfishness. Everything else had been self-centered. But when Jesus died on the cross, it was something the world had never seen before. I think the cross deserves a deeper study by us. Amen? So, friends, there are two ways to understand God. When God speaks, he creates. And in his created works, we can understand who he is and we can grow in our knowledge of him, thus fulfilling our purpose for existence. But when God speaks, what also does he do? He speaks through his prophets. And what do his prophets do? They write stuff down in this book called the Bible. And in the rest of our seminars, we are going to focus on just that one aspect. We're going to focus on the written word and how the written word is a tool to help people get back on that tract of their purpose of existence, which is to understand God.
Look at this uh, little track that I have here. I was uh, in Turlock, California the other day, and I was looking, um, I actually was doing some outreach. And this little tract I happened to find in a laundromat. I was going into the laundromats to take out the Jehovah's Witness material and put in some glow tracks. Amen? Man, I got a lot to say about that in this next session. Love those Jehovah's Witnesses. Anyway, so I went in there and they had this ornate literature rack and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I went over there, I picked up one of these little things and the title of this one says, 48 Hours in Hell. Ah, and the story is actually about a man who apparently died and went to hell and then hit his head or something and came back to life and told us all about it. Now, in this little write-up, uh, he says things that are pretty interesting. In fact, uh, in part of his experience in hell, he says that uh, he saw huge billows of fire and they would roll over each other and great waves of fiery flame would dash each other and leap high in the air like the waves of the sea during a violent storm. On the crest of the waves, I could see human beings rise, but soon to be carried down again to the lowest depths of this awful lake of fire. When born on the crest of these awful billows for a time, their curses against a just God would be appalling and their pitiful cries for water would be heartrending. This vast region of fire echoed and re-echoed with the wails of these lost spirits. And then, check this out, presently I turned my eyes to the door through which I had a few moments before entered and I read the awful words, this is thy doom, eternity never ends. Do you know that Ellen White says that this doctrine of eternal torment has actually made people go insane? Because when they read it, their soul is so tortured over the thought that they might burn for all eternity that they literally go insane. Friends, our job is to vindicate the character of God. Our job is to help humanity get back to their purpose of existence, which is to understand Him. And how can we do that? We can point them to the created works. Amen? But more easily than that, we can hand them a little Bible tract, and that'll help them learn about God. Amen? We can take them to the Bible and give them a Bible study, and that'll teach them about the heart of God too. Amen? We have a high and a holy calling, and that is to begin people walking down the path towards eternity. And that path is called the knowledge of God. And we have simple practical ways to do that. We're going to talk about that in the next two sessions. Two practical ways that we can get involved in sharing the Word of God with people. Number one, by literature distribution, and number two, by literature sales. We're going to talk about those things and I just pray that all of you can come back again because we're going to have some exciting stories about what the Lord has been doing through this program called GLOW, which is based off of Ellen White's writings. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we have this opportunity to come together to study your word, Lord. It has given us a big picture view of your purpose for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us personally to begin to grow in our knowledge of you in an expedited manner. Uh, but more so than that, Lord, I pray that that would lead to us helping others to learn more about you as well. Lord, that's why we're here, is because we want to learn about how to save the lost, how to point the lost to you. Lord, I pray that in these next two sessions, as we talk about highly practical ways of doing that, Lord, that you would send your spirit to just move upon us, Lord. Give us ideas on how we can make this even more effective. Father, we pray for these things in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.